Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Friday the 12th of March, and we are brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield, which is a VPN provider. A VPN is a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location. It'll help you access American Netflix if you're not in the US. It'll help you use your Now TV if you're outside the UK. LibertyShield.com. EPL VPN to get 20% off at checkout. We are also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a giftware and homework company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, big news this morning. Chris Wilder is out by the looks of things. Nothing official from the club or Wilder yet, but all reports are that Chris Wilder is to leave his position as manager of Sheffield United. After almost five years in the job, he took over the 12th of May 2016. They were, of course, a League One team. He's overseen 227 games. He's won 106 of them, drawn 47 and lost 74. A 46.7% win ratio. That was much better before the start of this season. Um, in some ways, this is surprising. In others, it's it's not. It's surprising because as a manager, he's done an incredible job there. He took over a team that had finished mid-table in League One. They were not a team going anywhere. It had been quite a long time since Sheffield United were really you know, relevant to the overall footballing world. They were obviously relevant to themselves, relevant to their fans, and relevant to that division, but they finished 11th in League One. They were not a team that anyone in the Premier League was paying any attention to. I don't even think championship clubs were paying any attention to them because they weren't coming up. Wilder takes over. In his first season in charge, he wins League One. A brilliant achievement at the first attempt. He'd spent some money. 
brought in some good players, but largely he'd worked with what he'd got. Jack O'Connell and John Fleck were the kind of two big signings that he made. Obviously, both of them absolute smash hit successes. But he worked with what was there and he turned the team into, well, into a real unit. And they played some really exciting football. Into the championship, they finished solidly in mid-table. A good season of uh, consolidation. Some more money spent to continue to grow the team. And then the following season, they finished second in the championship and get promoted into the Premier League. And then we know what happened last season. They finished ninth. This season has been a disaster. It's one of the worst seasons anyone's ever had in the Premier League. But you still felt like if they go back down, they'll be well positioned to do what Norwich are currently doing and come straight back up. Unfortunately, it's stuff going on behind the scenes that have caused this split rather than what's actually happened on the pitch. Prince Abdullah, who's the sole owner now of Sheffield United or the the main owner of Sheffield United, he had wanted to install a director of football largely to oversee recruitment, but also to oversee the development of the club as a whole. Wilder was against that, and it appears that Wilder has decided that he would rather not work for a club with a director of football um, and potentially go and work for a lesser club who won't have one. It'll be difficult for him to get a Premier League job that won't include a director of football. There's not many Premier League clubs left that don't have one. You'd imagine there will be Premier League clubs that will show interest. Crystal Palace could show interest, but they have one. They've got Doogie Friedman. I don't know whether Wilder would be interested in in that job, but I'd assume they'll show interest in him. Uh, Newcastle could be interested. They don't have a designated director of football, to my knowledge, but they do have like a head of recruitment and things like that. Um, Whether or not they're ready to move on from Steve Bruce, only they know. They don't seem to be. Everybody believes they should be, but they seem to be digging their heels in. Uh, Funny little wrinkle in that. Sheffield Wednesday published their accounts in the last week, and there's an unspecified payment to Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday rather, of £6.5 which has been marked as a confidential payment. Uh, And it's believed that that payment syncs up with when Steve Bruce left Sheffield Wednesday to go to Newcastle. So Newcastle may well have spent six and a half million to get him. So that might be why they want to keep a hold of him. Um, I think Chris Wilder would be a good fit at Celtic. But the problem is, wherever he goes, he's going to need to be a little bit more flexible. And we've seen some journalists this morning leap to his defense. Melissa Reddy among them. Uh, Chris Wilder, the latest case of a manager doing supremely well for so long, defying convention and exceeding expectations, only to be sacked because miracles don't last forever. Um, But there's been no word that he's been sacked. This appears to be his decision. Uh, So long would indicate he'd been there, you know, 10 years. Um, He's done incredibly well, don't get me wrong. But it's not like he's been there an incredibly long time. Um. She follows up with, on Wilder and fake and failed recruitment, most of his first-choice targets joined other clubs due to Sheffield United's very low wage budget and have been a success. I, I'd love to know who these players were. 
I would have genuine interest in finding out who the first choice targets were. But what I do know is that the players that were signed have been failures. Luke Freeman, flop. Callum Robinson, flop. Lise Mousset, largely a flop. Ben Osborne, flop. Ollie McBurney, flop. Sander Berger, I think, would have been a success if not for the injury. But as things stand, there's not a successful signing in that group. That's a lot of money spent. There's, there's easily $65 million spent in that group. And not one of them you could tag as a successful signing. That was the group in 1920. This season, it's even worse. Aaron Ramsdale, flop. Max Lowe and Jaden Bogle haven't played enough either way. I do think they'll be successful. Uh, Ollie Burke, flop. And Ryan Brewster, thus far, flop. Now, these are young players with the potential to develop. Burke, I don't think, is ever going to develop as a footballer. Um, he's become too interested in becoming a bodybuilder by the looks of him. But, you know, Ramsdale can be rehabilitated, maybe. Lowe and Bogle do have big potential. So does Brewster. Brewster's just had an appalling season. But if these weren't the first choice targets, then who were? I don't know why you'd spend $24.5 million on a striker if he wasn't, you know, your target. They were linked with Brewster all summer. So I don't know who the first choice targets were. Uh, I'd like to hear some names. If you're going to defend him, let's defend him properly. Um, but what I can tell you is just another 65, 70 million spent there. And it's been spent badly. And last summer was the same. So that's two summers in a row spending north of 60 million with very little in the way of outgoings. Like they weren't being forced to sell players to balance the books or anything. There's at least 120 million spent there as a net. And I mean, what's the return on it? You'll sell, you'll sell Sander Berger this summer. He's too good to go to the championship. But I don't think you'll get much more than what you paid for him because he's been injured for most of the season and because the market is compressed. And that's not Wilder's fault. Neither is the injury. But if you get $20 million, you're still going to be $100 million in the hole. Luckily for them, the TV revenue will, will cover it. But, you know, you can talk about low-wage bill. You still have to be much better at buying players. There's no way anyone's going to convince me that Aaron Ramsdale was the best goalkeeper they could get in, regardless of what the wage is. We had this issue at Liverpool before, where players were being signed for higher fees and lower wages. But Liverpool still signed Luis Suarez. So, you know, unless you're going to tell me there's a Suarez among that group. I think his, his recruitment has been a disaster since they came up. And that's what's ended this. There's some strife as well about, you know, facilities needing to be upgraded, etc. But the season is the season. The players he bought are the players he bought. The stuff going on elsewhere is irrelevant to what takes place in the pitch. Recruitment is what drives what takes place in the pitch. And what's taken place in the pitch this season is 14 points from, from um, 28 games. They had 43 points from 28 games last season. 
Only six clubs in Premier League history have recorded fewer points at this stage of the season. When they failed to beat Crystal Palace, they set the record for the longest winless start to a Premier League campaign. They've gone 20 games without a clean sheet. Only once before have Sheffield United picked up fewer points after 28 league games. 10 points in 1976 when it was two points for a win. Um, The owner felt, this is Simon Stone from BBC, the owner felt he'd provided funds for new players, including significant spending on strikers like Rian Brewster and Ollie McBurney over the past two seasons. Wilder felt this this did not go far enough to strengthen the squad to the required level. I'm sorry, you're the one picking the players. If they had a director of football and this was happening, I would have complete sympathy for Chris Wilder. But when he's the one driving the bus and refusing to let anybody else be involved, there's only one man to blame for it, and it's him. He, it feels like he's cut off his, his nose despite his own face. And it's such a shame because I do think he's an excellent manager. He just doesn't know what he's doing with recruitment. We'll hear more over the next couple of days, but it looks like the Chris Wilder time at Sheffield United is over. Uh, He won't be out of the game for long. He, He just won't. There will be a club that makes a move for him in within two weeks. I'd imagine he'll start fielding offers. I think he'd be a good fit at Celtic, but I would want a good head of recruitment with him. If he won't accept a director of football, he has to accept a really strong head of recruitment who oversees everything from that regard and just goes to Wilder for final decision. Here's the here's the list of four players. We vetted them all. We're happy with them all. You pick the one you want. That's how it needs to be. He, he can't have much more input than that because otherwise you end up with, I mean, Ollie McBurney for 20 million. Aaron Ramsdale for 20 million. Um, There's games to be played this weekend, in case you didn't know. There's a full weekend of games. This is the last full weekend of games until April because of the FA Cup and the international break. Uh, There will be some games during that time, but this is the, uh, the last full weekend of games until the 3rd of April. So uh, I've got Guy Drinkle with me as always. How are you, sir? I am good. It's weird what Liverpool winning stuff does. Although, bringing the Premier League back, it's not very nice. See what you No, do. but it is an See, away game. Uh, does it matter? Well, I have launched my petition for all home games uh, for the rest of the season to be played in Budapest. All games. So, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll, we'll hear more about that. I've, you know, I've sent, I've sent an email to Boris mm-hmm. and um, told him that, you know, I have concerns about the grass at Anfield and their uh, passing off of um, of COVID. Yeah, that it could be it could be dreadfully uh, harmful to people to go on the grass at Anfield. So um, we should self isolate in Budapest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's we can true. fly in and out for these games um, against you know against teams like Wolves, but home games should all be played in Budapest from now on. I like it. I like it. Liverpest. Oh, That's yes. what we're calling it, Liverpest. I was trying to, I was going to think of a Puskas Anfield pun, but it was just going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, onto the games. Um, 
We do have a Friday game, so that is on tonight, and that is on BT. Uh, we have Newcastle v Aston Villa. Now, Newcastle were the prime position team edging toward the relegation zone, but Brighton have somehow overtaken that role. But Newcastle are obviously still in a lot of trouble, and the infighting and stuff hasn't gone away. Um, and Aston Villa, without Jack Grealish, they haven't mixed results, but they're not really the same team without Grealish. Um, how do you see this one going? Yeah, so two teams that aren't in particularly good form. Uh, Newcastle have won only two games since early December. Uh, beating Everton and beating Southampton. They have drawn their last two games, which is, you know, is nice for them to get some points on the board. But it has been largely a desperate run of form over the last 15 games. Um, they'll be without Callum Wilson, who's still out with the hamstring issue, uh, Alan St. Maximum and Miguel Almiron. So their, fr- their front three are all out until after the international break. Uh, Fabian Schaar is out potentially for the rest of the season. He's um, he's on crutches and wearing a big heavy knee brace. It looks like he's had surgery. So that's, you know, their front three and one of their better centre-backs. Now, he wasn't particularly good this season, but I do think he's one of their better centre-backs. Villa's form has been really patchy since the turn of the year. Uh, they haven't strung together back-to-back victories. They've only gone two games without defeat once. Um, they drew at Wolves last weekend. Both sides have drawn at Wolves in the last couple of weeks. So maybe that's an indicator that this game is set to be a draw. Um, like you say, no Grealish for for Villa. Uh, Courtney House out and Wesley is is still out. But Wesley is back on track. He is due to play with <laughs> the under-23s. Yeah, I mean, look. He's 14 to 15 months he's been out. And that was an injury that was meant to take, you know, 10 months for him to be back. Um, Dean Smith has confirmed that Grealish is definitely out. Um, So they lack creativity without him. Barkley obviously has been poor since he came back from injury. So I'm going to say this game is a 1-1 draw. Yeah, I can certainly see it. I think without Grealish, Ollie Watkins is very patchy, but you kind of expect that for the first season in the Premier League. And of course. He's, he wasn't really a natural striker to begin with, was he? So, leading a line on his own. It's, uh... That's the thing. He, like, he's a converted winger. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do wonder if, if this summer they'll go and look for somebody like Tammy Abraham, mm. who'll have a year left on his contract, you can imagine Abraham and Watkins as a front two, causing teams a lot of problems. Mm. You put Grealish in behind them as a 10. And then you've still got, you know, Douglas Louise as the holding midfielder, John McGinn as one part of the engine of the diamond. And then if you keep Barkley, then you've got Barkley. That apparently they're asking bananas money for him. Mm. But there'll be other options out there. Newcastle or Villa already own Morgan Sanson that they brought in in January. Mm-hmm. He's a good player, could fit that role. Marvellous Nakamba could maybe fit that role. Um, Jacob Ramsey bring, looks like a good Jacob Ramsey looks a player, doesn't he? Mm. Or, I mean, if I was them, what I'd do is I'd go back to the well at City. Mm. Because City have a player in Yanhel uh, Herrera, who I think would be perfect in that role, mm. um, and would likely be 
another Douglas Louise style bargain. And if they could get a similar type of deal where it's, you know, buyback. 15 million with the yeah. buyback yeah, yeah, yeah. and the buyback escalates for the first couple of years and then disappears. If they buy out the clause off Louise at the same time as well, it's small business. That's the thing. Well, I think Villa have to, or City have to take it up this year mm. uh, or, or it just disappears. And it doesn't look like they have all that much interest. Rodri's developed, to be fair. From what he, he has, but I still year. think you could buy him for. I think the buyout in Louise Flipping. this year is is twenty five. Yeah, that rings. You could buy him for twenty five and sell him straight away for thirty and make a bit of money, but might not be worth the hassle for City. I suppose if you want to keep good relations with Villa, who do have talent and a good academy. Well, that's the thing, and like, why not? There's been rumours that Pep quite likes Grealish. Yeah. Um, I don't see that move happening, but you know, if they did want to keep that as a possible opportunity that mm-hmm. you know you do want to stay on the right side they, they they could look at you know they could look at other players like you said uh, not jacob ramsey his younger brother aaron, aaron ramsey yeah. is meant to be like a star in the making um obviously louis barry looks like a potential yeah, star yeah. as well and there's another midfield kid there um oh what's his name there's another midfielder there that's meant to be absolutely sensational. Is he the one who missed the game against Liverpool because he had COVID or something? Yes, I think so. I, Let me see. I know who you're on about, but I cannot remember him. Louis Barry, Jacob Ramsey. That Indiana Vasellov kid that came on against Liverpool yeah, last year, he looked a decent as well. Uh, Cameron Archer's meant to be talented. I can't find this kid's name. I, I know <laughs> you know the one I'm talking know, about yeah, though because he he was a roommate to one who had COVID or something wasn't he Yeah yeah exactly um he's meant to be he's meant to be the absolute business mm-hmm. now he's got quite a, like it's it's not a you know a traditional gammon and gravy English name mm. it's a very it's quite a long name let me see uh, this one Villa fan listening to this is going yeah that's him <laughs> yeah he's screaming at me now. Um, it's not Kane Kessler, it's not Jaden Filligan Bedace. But again, like there's just loads and loads of names coming up here as I try and search for this. That oh here he is. It's Carney Chukwamaka. I right. butchered that and I'm really, really sorry. Chukwamaka. Um sounds Nigerian. But yeah, he is meant to be mm-hmm. the absolute business. This kid is meant to be a star. I've seen people say, not, and not Villa fans, I've seen people say, this is the best kid in his age group. This kid is better than Jude Bellingham was at the same age. So, I mean, if he's if he's 70% of Jude Bellingham, then you've got a hell of a player on your hands. Um, C- City were interested in this kid. He, that he was the one that was strongly linked with City. He's a centre midfielder, can play box-to-box or as a 10 so similar to, to Bellingham, um, looks to have a similar build to Bellingham as well. Tall, rangy, powerful. Yeah, I mean, he, he's meant to be. So that's the thing for, for City. They may be looking at this and going, Phil is a bit of a talent factory. There's a lot of good young players there. You know, we want to keep good relations with them because down the line, there might be one or two of them that we fancy getting. And if we have a good relationship with them, maybe we can steal a march on Liverpool, United, Chelsea, or whoever else is in for them at the time. 
Yeah, yeah, I think I think if you're in the position, I mean, what's money to Man City as well? <laughs> I know you got to make money for FF, well, FFP in, in uh, air quotes. Um, but why not keep good relations with a team like Villa? Just for the sake exactly. of what, flipping 15, 20 mil. That's the thing. It's not probably not worth their while. And with this market, you just don't know. You could end up stuck with a player that you don't want. And yeah, then his exactly. value craters, and all of a sudden you lose money. Exactly, because if someone done by him in the summer, he's going to be what on the if not third choice of Fernandinho still about. Exactly. So, yeah. And if they have buybacks and stuff on him already, if Villa get if someone porches him off Villa, they might make money that way anyway. But anyway, we have um, spoken about that enough, and we'll move on to Saturday's game, and one that could be fun on paper. Um, albeit Chelsea's defence is quite rock solid at the minute, is Leeds v Chelsea can can Leeds breach that defence or it's the the new system and the new confidence in players too much for them you reckon? Leeds are capable of scoring against pretty much everybody they will be a really unique test for this Chelsea team and the, the contrast of styles should make this really fun like Leeds are like this furious ball of rage and Chelsea are like a really kind of cerebral, calculated, scientific experiment that one man is controlling. Um, it's two of the best tacticians in Europe, so that's that's going to lead to a decent game of football, I think. Leeds have been poor of late. They've lost four of five. Now, Look, they're a newly promoted team, so losing games is is something that comes with the territory. But they do need to start picking up some points again, just for their own kind of confidence and motivation. Chelsea have obviously been very good since Tuchel took over. They're unbeaten. Um, defensively, they've been great. And it's hard to see them losing this game. The problem for Chelsea is they don't score many goals under Tuchel. So they've played 11 games under him, one eight, drawn three, scored only 13, but they have conceded only two. Um, whereas, you know, Leeds tend to score in bunches and concede in bunches. They're probably the worst team in England when it comes to mm. set-piece defence. Mm-hmm. Um, they've conceded 46 goals, and it feels like 40 of them have been from corners or free kicks. Injury-wise, Chelsea have... Abraham and Thiago Silva um, expected to miss out. Mm. And Leeds have Jamie Shackleton back, Robin Cock almost back, but probably not fit for this game. Adam Forshaw's on his way back. Pascal Struik is out and Pablo Hernandez out. But obviously Calvin Phillips is back. He played last weekend. Diego Loriente came back a couple of weeks ago. He's played back-to-back games for the first time since joining. So their injury situation is improving. I'd still fancy Chelsea to win the game. I just think you know, overall their quality should tell. But it won't be easy. I'll go I'll go two one Chelsea. But I think Leeds will give them a bit of a fright and, and Chelsea could end up clinging on for dear life towards the end of this one. Yeah, I mean last game we saw Chelsea, we saw Kai Havertz probably play his best best game in a blue shirt. Um is it could he be the key in terms of God, this sounds very Pogba-ish, but unlocking someone like Averna because it's he's not as immobile as, say, Giroud, but he still has that link-up play. Could he be key to 
unlocking the attack, so to speak. See, that's that's exactly it. Like Chelsea's two number nine options all season have been Oli Giroud, who's a great link player, but like you say, not the quickest, not the most mobile. And Tammy Abraham, who's an out-and-out number nine, who doesn't really want to bring others into the game. He wants to get the goals. Absolutely fair. That's his job, and that's what he was kind of developed to do at Chelsea. But neither of them have really suited playing with Timo Werner, whereas Kai not only suits playing with him, but he knows him really well. They've played together before. And I do think it's, it's possible that that is the key to getting the very best out of Werner. Werner, when he played at Leipzig last season, their front three was a one and two behind. And Werner played the left-sided role behind. Now, he played the right-sided role in the last game. I'd like to see him on the left side with either Christian Pulisic or Callum Hudson-Odoi in that right-sided role. I think if you put Kai as the nine with pace and movement behind him, I think that's where you'll get the best out of all three of those. They obviously all speak German as well. So that's going to be beneficial. If they can communicate in German on the pitch, well, that's going to make Werner and Havertz feel more comfortable, more at home. It's also going to throw off defenders because unless Robin Koch is fit in this game, Leeds won't have a defender who speaks German. So they won't know what's being called as mm. the three of them communicate. So if one of them's calling a back post run or you know a cut run across the, behind the defenders, the defender's not going to know if it's been called in German. So I do think that could be beneficial to them. And that's what I'm hoping that we'll see this weekend. I'm hoping we'll see Havertz as the nine, Werner just behind him on the left, Pulisic just behind him on the right. And like remember as well, Pulisic has a good relationship with Tuchel. They worked together at Dortmund. It was Tuchel that brought him into the team and then made him a regular part of the team. Um, he played an absolute ton under Tuchel in his second year at Dortmund, and, and which was um, Pulisic's first full year as a senior pro. So that's something that works. And obviously, again, for Tuchel, he can communicate with them in German which does just make things a little bit easier, a little bit quicker. It could be beneficial. It really could be beneficial. And if I'm not mistaken, Mateo Kovacic was born in Austria, which likely means he grew up speaking Austrian, which is basically German. It could just be German. But yes, he was born in Austria and he lived in Austria until he was 13. So he definitely speaks the language. This is some 400 IQ by uh, Roman when he hired Tuchel. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling okay. you. This is what. So, you know, that it just, it, it, now it, look, it may not make a blind bit of difference, but it could be something that just helps these players adapt a little bit quicker, helps them become a little bit more threatening in attack because they've been great defensively. Hmm. But in attack, they haven't been good. Mm. And the, the 13 goals, I think that's three or four penalties. You know, they would have lost to Southampton without a penalty. They would have drawn with Sheffield United and Spurs without the penalty. So I, I do think they need to, f look, find any shortcut you can in attack mm -hmm. and, and just get it working. You have the talent. Well, we've seen teams in the past, like Liverpool fix their attack before they fix their defence. It's doing it the other way around, isn't it? And obviously a much... 
quicker turnaround for Tuchel as well. So you got to fix one half of the pitch, probably with their squad. The defence is probably the most pressing issue, isn't it? That's exactly the thing. Under Frank, they were quite poor defensively. They'll have the talent to score goals regardless. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody is going to get annihilated at some point. They're going to put six past somebody. Yeah. Because they're having so much of the ball, they're creating a lot of chances. Let's be honest, Leeds' defence, it might be them. (laughs) It could well be them. Now, the only thing in Leeds' favour is, unless Kurt Zuma plays... They don't. Chelsea don't have a person who's great at attacking set pieces in attack. You know, in, in the opposition box, Giroud would be the other one, but I don't think he'll play. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Leeds, Leeds just they, they play wide open at times, and if they try and go, if they go man to man against Chelsea, they, mm. they do risk getting ruined. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We'll move on then. Um, to the biggest and most fun game of the uh, the weekend is Crystal Palace v West Brom. So nil nil or one all. It does reek of a draw. However, when these sides played, um, not long after Large Sam took over, it ended up five one to Crystal Palace, um, which you know. Something of a shock, I think. Mm. Um, no, sorry, that was before. That was before Sam took over. That was under under Billich. That must have been one of his last games. Pereira got sent off, and they just capitulated. Conceded four in the second half. Yeah, he 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 managed two more games after that. That may have been the one that kind of pushed him towards the door because he was sacked uh, ten days later. Um, Palace come into this game. Off the back of a bad defeat to Spurs. But they were in a decent enough run. They'd beaten Wolves and Newcastle, then lost to Leeds and, and Burnley, but then beat Brighton, Drew at Fulham and Manchester United. So, you know, that was a solid enough run for them, was getting Hodgie towards the points total that he loves, 43 to 45. Uh, Spurs are just a much better team than Palace and, and should beat them. So that was a you know fairly expected result. Uh, for West Brom, they've sort of had their best run of five games this season, where of those five, they only lost once and took six points. So that was that was good for them. Um, so they're in decent form as well. I do think it's going to be a draw. Like, it's very hard to see much in the way of attacking intent from the Hodge. Um now, I th- I'm, I'm not sure, but I think Zaha could be back. He's not listed as being ruled out. James McCarthy, Nathaniel Klein, Tariq Mitchell, Nathan Ferguson, Mamadou Saku, James McCarthy, Wayne Hennessy, and James Tompkins are all listed as ruled out. Zaha isn't mentioned, so maybe he's back. He was on the bench last game, if I remember was correctly. He? I oh, well so. then. Let me, let me quickly check that. I believe Crystal, it was. Crystal Palace... Um, da, 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 da. You're right, he came on as well. He did, yeah. So Zaha's back, which means you have to make Crystal Palace the favourites. West Brom have everybody fit, but I don't think it matters. If Zaha plays, Palace will win. I'll say 2-0 to Palace. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say the I'd say well, it's it, we say it's Zaha and Grealish. They're almost one man shows at their clubs, aren't they? So mm. it's it's a it's a huge factor, really. Um, so what should we say? Two one Palace if Zaha's fit, and one all if not. Two two nil two nil Palace if if Zaha's fit, and yeah, maybe one one if he's if he doesn't start. But I I think if he mm. if he was fit enough to come off the bench against Spurs. Mm. He's probably fit enough to start this weekend. Yeah, you'd probably say so. You'd probably say so, but I can't believe I can't imagine that'll be one for the for the viewing audience either way. Um but we'll move on to Everton against Burnley. And if I remember correctly, did Everton lose to last time? It was Chelsea, wasn't it? Yeah. Um Chelsea, yeah. Obviously Everton and they're in the top four race. They're probably not favourites for it now, considering Chelsea's upkeep, but Leicester may fall off. Um, but with Everton, they keep doing well. Then they get an opportunity. I know mm. they beat. I know they beat Liverpool, but everyone's beat Liverpool. <laughs> but then they get come up, seemingly come up against the team that's in a race with them, and then they waste the opportunity. Is that is that what's going to keep them from top four this season? Yeah, I think so. Um, if you look at some of the results this season, when they played Southampton, Southampton were doing really well, and they lost that game two nil. They played United at home. They lost that game. Uh, they lost to, at home to West Ham. They lost at home to City, but that's fine. Um, and they lost to Chelsea. But the other thing they've done is they've dropped points to bad teams. Like, there's no excuse for them to lose 2-0 at home to Fulham. There's, there's just not. You, you should be beating Fulham at home. Now, I, I say that as a Liverpool fan who just watched his team lose to Fulham at home, but we're in... The that worst run of form. That wasn't ever. A, that wasn't at home though. The push push no, that was push that's exactly, at home. That was at our <laughs> former home. Yeah. Um rather than our new home. But you know, they, they should be beating Fulham. Um and, and they were mocking us after we lost to Fulham. But they lost to Fulham two mm. nil. We only lost one nil. Exactly. Uh, so I'm taking taking that as a small victory. Um they won three in a row against Liverpool, Southampton and West Brom before they lost to Chelsea. They are sixth in the table. They're two points behind West Ham, four behind Chelsea, but they do have a game in hand on the top four. So they still have a chance at top four, and I don't think the remaining fixtures are all that bad. They seem to have played most of the good teams twice. Um, I think they've got City away. Yeah, I think City away and Tottenham at home, maybe. But it's not it's not too bad. Um, they've got a lot of injuries at the moment, though. Gabaman is out. Mina is out. Uh, Delph is out. Dekure is out. Olsen has a knock. He also had his house broken into, which was obviously quite scary. James Rodriguez is maybe going to be fit enough to make the bench. Seamus Coleman should be back. So that's at least one boost for them. But it's a lot of players out. Um, whereas with Burnley, their injury problems have been, you know, well documented across the season. Charlie Taylor's expected to miss out. Jack Cork expected to miss out. Robbie Brady should be back. Uh, Ashley Barnes is ruled out, but Burnley are in decent form. Um, well, as far as, you know, as far as Burnley go of the last seven, they've lost only one. They've only won one, but. They're picking up points, and that's kind of the name of the game for them. Yeah, they just but... need to keep moseying along. They're now 
15th, the three points behind Southampton, um, whereas there was a substantial gap between them, if you go back six weeks ago. Um, they've created a little bit of separation from Newcastle and uh, Brighton and Fulham. They won't they won't make it easy for Everton, but I still think Everton should have enough to overcome them. I think Everton have enough pace and the delivery from Dina to overcome Burnley at Goodison. I'll go 3-1 Everton. Yeah, it, it's strange, as you mentioned, Everton do slip up against the bad teams. So, it wouldn't surprise me if they do slip up, but I think you do have to make Everton favourite. It all depends on which Nick Pope turns up. That's very if, true. If Nick Buffon turns up, they will they could win the game. Mm. If Nick Pickford turns up, as we've <laughs> often seen, uh, they weird. will lose the game. He is weird, isn't he? Like, mm. I, He's I an odd one, because he's got the talents. It's not about what, what about him, but I've always thought Dean Anderson is such a and it's only off really one season of June, but I always thought he's the more well-rounded, consistent one. Henderson's definitely the more rounded keeper. I think Pope is probably the best shot stopper. Mm. Um, but obviously there's limitations to his game because of how he's been developed. Obviously he came through at, uh, I think he was came through at Charlton, if I'm not mistaken. He was yeah. definitely at Charlton. I'm not sure if he came out of their academy. Um, actually, I don't think he did. I think they bought him. He came through the Ipswich Academy. Then he was at Bury. Then he went to Charlton for five years, and then he joined Burnley. Now, he's been at Burnley five years, so he joined when he was 24. And the problem is that, you know, a lot of goalkeepers don't really make their breakthrough until 24, 25 for, you know, a variety of reasons. Mm. He had that great season, 17, 18. Then he got hurt and missed basically the entire next season. He only played three games, none in the league. And that was a massive blow for him. He, at that point, he'd only really played a couple of seasons in League Two and one season of Championship football. So yeah. he needed a lot of game time in the Premier League to continue his development. And you know, at Burnley, you're not developing a goalkeeper to be a, a well-rounded goalkeeper. You're developing them to save shots, deal with crosses, and boot the ball long. Mm. And that's it. You're not developing them as sweeper keepers or anything like that. So I, I have noticed he has tried, whether it may, it may be against Dyche's wish, but I have seen him try and sweep a bit more, which has probably led to mistakes, if anything. Yeah, I think it has. I think it has led to mistakes. I think he's tried to broaden his own game. Mm. And, I, yeah, it has it has cost them uh, a couple of times this season. It, it's a weird... Cause, like in terms of England goalkeeper rankings, I'd put Pickford squarely bottom. But in terms of suitability to the modern game, it's a it's a strange one because I think everyone in the world would go. I'd rather have Pope than Pickford. But I can almost understand where Southgate's coming from. It's just that Pickford's so bad at times; it's hard to understand. Yeah, because Pickford is you know is some people's idea of the modern goalkeeper. He's just not. A very good one. <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's just, it's just weird. It's just weird. So if Dean Henderson keeps the United number one shirt, he'd probably be the one I'd pick for for England. For England, but, absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but who cares enough to talk about that? Um, 
we'll move on to the last Saturday, Saturday game, and that's Fulham Man City. Right. Man City are obviously won the league. Like, barring the biggest implosion ever. Um, but Fulham have have a knack of nicking a point. But is the nicking a point against other teams than there's nicking a point against this Man City team? Yeah. Um, Fulham have obviously had a, a very good turnaround after a disastrous first 11 games. They drew five in a row. Then they lost two. They drew two. They lost one. Then they went five unbeaten and actually won a couple of games. They beat Everton. They beat Sheffield United. Um, they drew with West Ham, which was a good result. Burnley, which was a good result. And Palace. They lost to Spurs and then they beat Liverpool. So they've they've definitely dug themselves part of the way out of the hole that they put themselves in with that horrific first 11 games. Uh, where they took only seven points. But, you know, they're still not clear of it. They're still in the bottom three. 26 points level with Brighton. Now, Brighton do have a game in hand on them. Uh, but they're one point behind Newcastle. And that's probably the team that both Brighton and Fulham are eyeballing as, you know, that's the team we're going to overhaul. They're the ones that are going down. Uh, they've done it based on, you know, the same thing as Brighton. A really good defence not scoring enough um, when you're in the bottom half and you've got a better defensive record than Burnley you, your defence is really good for that level um, but again neither have scored enough goals both have drawn too many games City have been phenomenal the defeat to United is what it is but you know that's the first defeat in, in the league since the 21st of November um, it was the first defeat in any competition since 21st of November. So they were on that incredible run. They bounced back well against Southampton. And um, I, I think we're going to see a good game of football that City win quite comfortably, if I'm honest. I just don't think Fulham have enough to trouble City. Not if they're in the same mood they, they looked like they were in during the week. Uh, Injury-wise, Fulham... Roddick and Carney still out. Neither would be in the team anyway. City, I think Nathan Aki was the only player that was injured. I think he may be back in training. So they've got a full, uh, clean bill of health. So I think I think City should win the game comfortably. I'll say, um, I'll say 3-0 City. Yeah, yeah, I can certainly see that. Um, and as we are doing now, we'll take a quick ad break and then I will be back to ask Dave about the Sunday games and I, have we decided to do the Monday games this time? There's only one, isn't there? Might as well. Um, so yeah, back in a sec. Right, welcome back. Um, we've done tonight's game and the four Saturday games so we've got four on Sunday and one on Monday and yeah I think you're right there's only one game on Monday so we might as well do it today uh, so what's the first game Sunday we have the well let's call it the Dave Hendricks South Coast derby um, because last time I said that you had a go at me um, Southampton Brighton um, Southampton have 
Is it too much to say steady the ship after the like horrendous form? Is it that strong? Probably not. Um, but they got a win. Who was that against the other day? It was Sheffield United and it was that Shea Adams world. So Southampton got a win, but then they lost straight away afterwards. And Brighton, as I mentioned earlier on, their form just went from looking like something promising to just literally absolute relegation fodder. Um, surely Brighton have to see this as an opportunity to get that important win to get them somewhat back on track. Yeah, uh, Brighton Brighton need the victory here probably more than Southampton, but I mean, it's tough to say Southampton don't need it just as much when they've lost. Um, is it nine games of the yeah nine of their last eleven? Now I will say they were really good against City for twenty five minutes, and then they scored, and then they just kind of gave up, um, and City wiped the floor with them for the majority of the rest of the game. I think. I think Brighton do need it more, though. I mean, they've lost three on the bounce. They haven't won in the last five. And that was off the back of having beat Liverpool and Spurs in back-to-back games. So that's a bit of a disappointing downturn. And, I mean, they'll have looked at Crystal Palace at home and West Brom away as games they should be winning. They just can't score goals. They win the XG battle pretty much every time. uh, But they just can't score goals. And now they find themselves... Level on points with Fulham, a point behind Newcastle, four behind Burnley. And if they don't start winning a couple of games, it's going to go bad real quick and they will find themselves playing championship football next year. And they're far too good to go down. Like Defensively, they're they're really good. The quality of shots they give up is like the third or fourth best in the league in terms of the unlikeliness of the opposition scoring. They create a ton of chances. They just can't score them. Um, Yeah, I'm going to say with Southampton having the injury problems that they do, uh, Theo Walcott out, Danny Ings out, Michael Obafemi out, Ariel Romeo out, Will Smallbone out, and Moussa Genepo most likely out. I think this is a game for Brighton where they should be confident. Now, they have their own injury problems. Uh, Lamptey's out for the season. Solly March is out for the season. Aaron Connolly has a back issue, but could be back. Adam Webster and Florian and Doné are out. I still think Brighton should have a little bit too much in this game. I think they'll dominate the ball. They just need to score. If they can score a goal, I think it'll make it hard for Southampton without Danny Ings. I'm going to say, I'll say 2-1 Brighton. Um, I think it'll be a really good game of football, though. It's two good managers that you know want to play good football. Um, and both are desperate for the win, so I think we'll see a fairly open game. Yeah, I thought so, because, I mean, I mean, we kind of adopted them as the team, but Brighton, I'd rather have a team like that in the league than... I'm gonna than say Steve Bruce, you can say it, yeah, you can say Steve, it. <laughs> Steve Bruce You'd rather have a, good team, a team that play good football than Steve Bruce's head. <laughs> it's a <laughs> normal guy. Even Fulham, to be fair, there's players I like at Fulham, but they are a bit boring. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, Brighton, Brighton over this Newcastle every day of the week. But Newcastle have fun in the championship. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, uh, we'll move on anyway. Um, Leicester Sheffield United. Um, I mean, seemingly going to be managerless Sheffield United as well. 
does that mean anything? I'm not even sure who is who the assistant or caretaker manager would be in that situation. But Leicester have to see this as a must three point, surely. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's it's tough to know who will be the um, the the caretaker manager because I think it's I think it's Alan Nil. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He's the assistant manager, but he's I mean he's been with Wilder a long time. Mm. Um, funnily enough, Wilder was originally his assistant. When uh, I think it's either when, when he managed Bury, Yaman was the manager, Wilder was the assistant. Then a couple of years later, Wilder got the Northampton job and brought him in as his assistant. So um, they've been together an awful long time. So I, I don't know that he doesn't go with Wilder. Um, in which case, I, I don't I don't really know who'll be hmm. who'll be the one. I mean, maybe Janola. <laughs> Jack Lester is the academy manager. Paul Heckenbottom is the uh, under-23s coach. Maybe it's him. He's got some experience yeah, as a manager. Sense, yeah. um, you know, Barnsley, Leeds, Hibs. I think he's fa- not... he's actually favourite for the job, I think, Heckenbottom. I think. That, I mean, that, it'd just it's be a bad... A, he's not a good manager. He's really not a good manager. You know, 80, well 83 like games. Or something? Is that it? Uh, 34.38 win percentage. Um, lasted less than a year. Uh, poor at Leeds and poor at Barnsley. So, I, I think that would be a bad decision. Uh, when when you when someone is sacked by multiple clubs, hmm. I I just don't think you can like, especially when they're sacked like within four months of taking charge and then nine months of taking charge. I really don't think you, you should be appointing them. Uh, to any kind of senior managerial position, whatever about putting them as a you know youth development coach, that's fine. But not when there's hundreds of million on, on the table and, and hundreds of million at stake. I just don't think that makes sense. Um, so I, I think that would be a bad move. I don't think it's going to make a whole bunch of difference. Uh, I think Leicester will win this game comfortably regardless. But they do have a bunch of injuries. Madison, Justin... Under, Prayet and Barnes all ruled out. Iosi Perez a doubt. Johnny Evans will have a fitness test, but he's expected to make uh, to, to, to make the game. Um, Sheffield United, John Egan's out. Berger's out. Basham's out. Robinson's out. O'Connell is out. Rodwell is out. So all their centre-backs, basically. And um, Phil Jagielka is back from suspension, but again, that might not help them. Um... I mean, Sheffield United have been so bad. They've won four games this season. Now, they've won all four within the last, what, 11? So that's, you know, been a nice turnaround. But it's, it's, there's just, there's no way to see them beating Leicester at Leicester. Maybe they could hold out for a draw, but I still think you'd have to fancy, fancy Leicester. Vardy against the makeshift back line seems a little bit unfair. Um, I think Tielemans will have an absolute field day in midfield. And it'll be the easiest day that Cengiz under and Wes Fafana have all season because there's nobody in that Sheffield United team that's going to score a goal unless Billy Sharp gets a chance from a penalty. Um, yeah, I- I'm going to say Leicester win the game 3-0. I think it'll be comfortable. 
Yeah, it should be. It absolutely should be. Uh, and we'll move on to the most eye-catching uh, fixture on paper, at least, in, in the North London derby, Arsenal v Spurs. I mean, the first thing I'll ask you, is this fixture what it used to be? Because even when I was growing up, when Spurs were probably a UEFA Cup team, um, more than anything, which they kind of are at the minute, and Arsenal obviously nowhere near where they were back in, that, back in them days, but I always like looking forward to this game, whereas now, not too mediocre teams, but they're not exactly what they were even like three, four years ago. No, they're not. Um, for From about, I'd say, the early 90s, when, when Spurs, Arsenal had George Graham and won a couple of league titles, and then they he left because he got caught taking backhanders, and Spurs got really excited with themselves after the 94 World Cup, and they brought in, like, Gika Papescu, Ili Dumitrescu, Klinsman, they had Sheringham, they had Barnby, they had Anderton, and they had this incredibly exciting team under Aussie Ardiles. Now, they were no good, but they were brilliant to watch. It was like five in attack, one holding midfielder, and a defence led by Gary Mabbott that were a defence of that era, which meant which means they just kicked people. They weren't particularly good, but they got the job done. They were a lot of fun to watch. You'd tune in to watch them every game. Mm. From from about then, I always found the North London Derby to be the most entertaining of the big derbies. Be it, you know, the Manchester Derby was incredibly one-sided for years. The Merseyside Derby, there's a lot of stinkers that's, that have taken place. Um, and Liverpool have just been so dominant. The Liverpool United games could often be very boring, but Arsenal Spurs was always fun. And the second mm. Arsenal Spurs game of the season, normally Arsenal would be confirming that they had finished, uh, that they would finish above Spurs for the season around this time because they've been so do- they were so dominant, especially once Wenger took over. Um, this generally became a game where, you know, there was a title contender in it, and that was the case up until say, the last year of Pochettino, the year they got to the Champions League mm-hmm. final. Um, Spurs were in the title mix for the, for a couple of years after Arsenal sort of fell out of it. And, you know, even when Arsenal were just a top-four team, but Spurs were also a top-four team. And they, they were just fun games. And there's always been a, a good rivalry. And then, you know, St. Totteringham's Day comes around, which is when Arsenal fans celebrate finishing above above Spurs, and they haven't really been able to do that for the last few years. Um, Even the one year recently that they did finish above them, it kind of happened in the last week or two of the season, um, when the year Leicester won the league. So it's always been one of the better derbies. This year and last year, obviously, this game happens when both teams are... I, I think you're right. I think mediocre is the right word, especially last season. Arteta had taken over mid-season. Jose took over mid-season. Neither of them really got things going in the league. Arteta obviously went on and won the FA Cup. This year, they're both going well in the Europa League. Uh, they both won in midweek, obviously, or, or yesterday, as it, as it was. Um, they've both underwhelmed in the league. Uh, I think, Spur, as I said, I've said since day one of this season, if Spurs don't get top four, this season's a disaster for them, unless they win the Europa League. 
but there's too much talent in that squad to not be playing Champions League football. And it's going to be real hard to keep Harry Kane if you're not a Champions League team. Mm. So, I mean, the Europa League might be their best avenue. Certainly, if you look at the teams left in it, I think they're probably the best team left in it. I don't know that I'd look at any of the other teams left in the competition and say that they're better than Spurs. Granada, Molda, Slavia, Prague, Rangers, uh, Dinamo Zagreb, Arsenal, Olympiacos, Roma, Shakhtar, Villarreal, Dinamo Kiev, Ajax, and Young Boys. None of them, I don't think, are better than Spurs. You can make an argument, certainly, for United, given the league position, and for AC Milan, given their league position. But I still back Spurs to beat them over two legs. I still think Spurs have a better eleven than either of them. They've got a better manager than either of them. And the best player in games against either of them will be Harry Kane by a considerable distance. Mm. And I think second will be Youngman's son. So I think when you've got the two best players, I think Bruno would then be third for United. Um, But if you've got the two best players in a game and the rest of your team isn't trash, I think you've got a great chance of winning. I think Spurs have a really good chance of winning that competition this year. 2-0 up against Dinamo. They'll be confident of going through if they get a, if they get a good draw in the quarterfinals. I, I could see them going on to win the competition. Mourinho knows how to win that. He's won it twice. He won it with Porto. He won it with United. Uh, with worse teams than he's got at Spurs this year. In stronger competitions as well, in my view. So I do think he's got a good chance of winning that. But I'd still like to see them you know, really make a push for top four in the league. Um, they're currently seventh. They're a point behind Everton. They do also have a game in hand on the likes of Chelsea, who are five points clear of them. So, you know, it's a possibility. Uh, I think that game in hand is against, I want to say it's against Villa. Villa have two games in hand. I think one is West Ham, uh, one is Ar- uh, Everton and the other is Tottenham. Um, for this one, this is tough because Arsenal were awful. Then they got really good. Then they were poor again. But they've been decent in the last two games. Now, the 1-1 draw with Burnley is what it is. Uh, but, I mean, Granite Jacket cost them that game. They they should have won the game. Granite Jacket is just a, a clown. Um, injury-wise, Arsenal have everybody fit, which is massive. Spurs don't have LaCelso. Kane is a doubt, but he's expected to, to be fit enough to play. I, Spurs should win the game. Spurs should win the game. Even, even when it been at the Emirates, Spurs should win the game. But Smithrow and Saka will cause Spurs a lot of problems. Or Odegaard and Saka, or a combination of the three. They're all very, very good, and they've all done really well. Oh, I think I'll just go with a draw. I think I'll go 2-2. Two, two. I think it's going to be an entertaining match between two teams that want to play football. Um, well, Spurs will want to play football until you know a certain point where Mourinho will put the reins on them. But I'll, I'll go 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, it's, it's always a tough one to predict because it's almost like maybe you're back the worst team. <laughs> and then it seems to work out. But yeah, this has probably been the tightest it's, it's been. But when you're on about the Europa League, Dave, you forgot Unai Emery's still in the competition, isn't he? So he's already, That's a fair he's, point. He's already won it. Well, that is true. I mean, it's the one thing that that man does 
really, really well is win the Europa League. Um, like if, if you're won... in the Europa League final, just sack your manager the day before and get and hire him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in fairness to him, three Europa Leagues back to back to back at uh, Sevilla. He won a French title at, at Paris Saint Germain. Um, got Arsenal to Europa League final as well. It's only he, Arsenal that let him down. You know. <laughs> Of course. I mean, the thing is, that was against a good Chelsea team under Sarri. So, yeah. you know, it, it's not like they lost to some mm. bad team. They, they did choke Has, a little Hazard bit. Hazard just went mental that game as well. He did. Hazard went nuts. But, I mean, if you look at their run to the final that year, they did beat some good teams. Um, in the round of 16, they beat Stad Ren, who were a decent team. In the quarterfinals, they beat Napoli 3-0 over two legs. And then they hammered Valencia 7-3 over the two legs, whereas Chelsea needed penalties to get through um, and and didn't look entirely convincing against Slavia Prague. Going into that game on form in the competition, Arsenal probably were the favourites based on form in the competition. But, you know, it was in Baku as well, which was weird. Um, you had the Mkhitaryan stuff before, didn't you? That's exactly it. There was all that... All that just noise and distraction about it. So, yeah, I do think... Uh, I think he's great in this competition. I really, really do think he's great in the competition. Um, yeah, he, he did pick Peter Cech to play in that final, though, so that's kind of unforgivable. Given he, he already announced as a Chelsea director or something? Yeah, I think he'd already said he was retiring. It was a weird one. Um, you know... It, yeah, it was. It was really, really odd that the whole thing that went on with Mkhitaryan and, of course, he didn't play in the final. Um, the, the Czech thing, yeah, it was just bizarre. But Villarreal, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be tough for anybody to beat. Um, if You're better off getting them, I think, over two legs than you are in a final because Emery... Emery will find a way to win the final with, with that team because he can just bet in, defend, and try and hit you on the counter-attack because they've got good attackers. They're solid defensively. Um, they, they work really, really hard. And he, like you said, he's won it three times and he got to another final. So it's it's a competition he knows really, really well. Yeah, yeah, it's a strange one. It's a strange one. Um, last game on Sunday, then United, uh, Man United, I should say, v West Ham. Um, important game in top four race for West Ham. Man United uh, form again. Obviously, beat Man City the other day. Did they game since then for Man U? No, just the Europa League game. Um, yeah. They won one with Milan. Played off the pitch by all accounts. I didn't watch it. Now they've been in good form in the league uh, in, in terms of not being, you know, not losing games. They've only lost one game since the start of November. Um, that was that defeat to Sheffield United that they're still bleeding on about. Um, but they have struggled to win games. They've only won three of their last eight, but. They did beat Man City. Uh, their away form is so much better than their home form. And that's why I think West Ham have a real chance in this game. Um, West Ham have obviously had a, a, a remarkable season. I mean, nobody would have picked them to be fifth. They've got a game in hand over Chelsea. If they win that game in hand, they go back into the top four. 
Um, uh, United are poor at home. They beat Newcastle, but they weren't impressive. They drew with Everton. They lost to Sheffield United. They scraped past Villa with a Bruno penalty. Scraped past Wolves with a late goal. Lost to Arsenal. Lost to Spurs. Lost to Palace. I think West Ham have a chance here. Um, I'm going to say this game ends in a draw. What are we looking at injury-wise? United have some problems. Pogba's out. Rashford's out. Cavani's expected to miss out. Mata's out. De Gea is out. Now that's that turned out to be his his girlfriend had a kid, so that's why he's out. Donny Van de Beek is out. Martial's a doubt. Phil Jones is ruled out. Now Ahmed Diallo scored um, at the in the Europa League, so maybe he'll get a start. But they don't have a whole bunch of options at the moment. It could well be that we see Greenwood play up front, Bruno as the ten, and Diallo and Dan James as the wingers. Mm, the uh, last night, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And he, but he apparently played really, really well when he came on. Um, West Ham, Masawak is out. Lingard is unable to play. That's a bit of a blow because he's been in good form. Fredericks is expected to miss out. Ogbonna is out, but they've been really good defensively without him. Yarmo's out and Randolph is out. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say West Ham win this game. I was going to go for a draw, but with with the injuries that United have, unless Bruno does madness, I think United are going to really struggle. Um, I'll say 2-1 West Ham. Yeah, I mean, when you put the injuries into perspective, I can certainly see it. Um, It's... What what do you... What what do you think the problem with money? Obviously, the injuries and stuff like that, but we... We keep saying, like, they keep trying to put Bai together with Maguire, but obviously Bai's probably their best centre-back, and he's certainly the best partner for either of the other centre-backs. Mm. When someone's that injury-prone, like, we've got our own problem with Matt. Um, yeah. You just can't, can you, really? No, you can't trust it. Um, like, ideally, Matip would be our fourth centre-back, and the other three would all be, you know, kind of unbreakable. Um, the same thing for United. I think ideally they would have Maguire plus one and then Lindelof and Bailly as the third and fourth. But unfortunately for them, it's Maguire and Bailly is probably their ideal pairing, but Bailly can't stay fit, which means Lindelof plays. And I like Lindelof. I actually would prefer him in my team to to Maguire. Mm-hmm. Um, he did miss a, guy, missed a comical open call yesterday, Maguire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I mean, look, he, he makes Harry Maguire makes so many mistakes. They just, I've, I don't understand the argument that people try and make from as a, as he's a, he's a good defender. He's nowhere close to great. He's not great on the ball either. He's good on the ball. People try and make him out like he's Franco, uh, like he's Franz Beckenbauer, but he's not. He's he's just good on the ball. Um, he's you know, fairly rudimentary in a lot of the stuff he does. And he's really, really slow, really bad when facing his own goal. If people get behind him, he's ha- his hands everywhere, dragging and pulling out of people. Um, and I think he's soft as well, if I'm honest. I think he's a bit soft. 
He goes to ground really easily. Doesn't like the physical battle. You just described Martin Skirtle. <laughs> I, that's that's kind of who he reminds me of. Is Martin Skirtle? He looks the part, and obviously he's big and he's dominant in the air. And people think, oh, you know, he's a big tough guy. But he's not. Like he, he seems soft to me. So, um, I I think he, ideally I would rather have Lindelof plus. You know, if you're buying Rafa Varane, which is, has been rumored. I'd rather have Lindelof and Varane than Maguire and Varane because I still think mm. Maguire will let you down. You, you can't play to, to Rafa Varane's strengths if you have Harry Maguire next to him because he's going to spend most of his game covering for Maguire. You can't play a high line because he'll get exposed. Um, United's issue there needs to be addressed this summer. They need a better holding midfielder as well. They need someone who'll sit in front and just shield shield the back line. They do that, they could play a little bit higher because you'd get away with a little bit more. Um, I I don't know what to think of United. They just their their league position does not represent what they've done on the pitch this year. They have played awfully for the majority of the Premier League matches, but yet they're winning. And look, that is generally the sign of a team going in the right direction. But I wouldn't put any trust in Ollie long term. They seem to love him, and they've just made moves around him. They've appointed a, a football director and a technical director rather than going for a director of football, uh, and they've in, appointed internally. Um, it's Darren Fletcher has taken over as technical director, and apparently he's going to do that along with his duties as a coach. Now, that to me is a conflict of interest. That sounds weird. <laughs> if he's on Ollie's coaching staff... He can't be one of the people as technical director because part of his job as a technical director needs to be oversight of what Ollie's doing. But by all accounts, this Ollie's on the same level as this football director, which isn't how that works. This to me is a cop out. It's the cheap move. It's appointing people to positions they're not qualified to do and have no track record of doing. Um, I saw Ollie say that Darren Fletcher could bring his experience of playing for other clubs uh, into the mix. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the two other clubs he played for were West Brom and Stoke. So I'm not sure what it is that Darren Fletcher is going to bring from his time at West Brom and Stoke uh, to, uh, to Manchester United. Other than knowledge of how to get relegated, which is what, you know, he did when he was at at Stoke. Um I, I just I find it weird. I really do. I mean he was a he was a bang average squad player when he was at United. If he played for Liverpool now though, he'd be hailed as the conquering hero and he'd have been given footballer of the year. because uh, that's the role that you know he performed at Old Trafford. Um yeah, I just to me, I just think it's the cheap way out. I really don't think this is the the move that they promised their fans. I think this is Woodward uh, making moves to keep himself in a position of power without anyone who's going to question him. John Murtaugh is the uh, the club's first football director. He's been head of football development, whatever whatever that is mm. like that's just one of those job tasks where you're isn't he in the Everton hierarchy before they had yes like 20, Moy, Moy's brought him oh, yeah. Moy's brought him to 
to uh, United and he survived when Moyes left. Um, I, I just don't see it. Like he's been credited with signing a couple of good young players, um, but then you know appoint him as head of youth movement or something. United should be. I I don't know. I just I just don't. I I think this is a, is the cheap easy move. I think it's a cop out. I think it's Ollie and Woodward consolidating their power when neither of them are are good enough to have the roles they have from a footballing point of view. Woodward's great as a as a business guy. Mm-hmm. For from the football side, he just hasn't a breeze. Like Matt Judge is is staying as the director of football negotiations again. Like what's that? Like if this is this is the the guy that negotiated your deals for Wan Bissaka, who you overpaid by twenty five million, uh, Maguire, who you overpaid by forty five million, Pogba. I mean, has he been negotiating the contracts as well? Is he the one that gave De Gea that ridiculous contract? Um, is he the one that allegedly screwed the deal for for Sancho? Um, by making it very clear early on that United didn't have the money. I, I just, I think it's a joke, to be honest. I think it's a bit of a joke. Uh, Ed Woodward said, uh, we've already made great strides forward in the way we run our football operations. I mean, there's no no evidence of that. Uh, and the benefits are visible in the resurgent pipeline of academy talent reaching the first the first team. Um, no, not really, because there was just as much coming through all along. It's just that the manager uh, was choosing not to use them. Um, and a lot of those players just left. You, you're not responsible for Marcus Rashford's genes or Mason Greenwood's genes. You're just lucky. Um, John has been integral to our progress in these areas. And his deep understanding of development ensures the club's tradition of bringing young players through from the academy to first team will continue. Then why has he been appointed as director of football or football director? If that's what his primary thing is, he should be the academy director, not the director of football. Darren's stellar achievements as a player in his own journey from academy to Premier League and Champions League winner means he naturally commands respect and understands this vital part of the club's DNA. Yeah, he won things on the back of good teammates. Darren Fletcher was an average player who played for a great team. He wasn't a great player. He wasn't even a good player. In no, look, he was a good player in relative, like in overall terms. But in relative terms, in that Manchester United team, if you're listing off the best players, you're probably at number fourteen or fifteen going down their squad before you pick Darren Fletcher. So he was average amongst the players he was with. Um, I just, I don't, I think it's, I think it's a cop out. Um, I don't want to talk with him anymore. Let's move on. Well, hopefully this, this might change you. I'm not sure. Depends what your prediction is. Um, this is the Monday game, so this is the last one. Uh, Wolves uh, against Liverpool. I mean, the first question is, can Liverpool take their European form or performance against Leipzig and take it into the Wolves game and does that mean well the key things for being you on midfield but I know what you're going to say there but is the key there keeping that front free 
and hopefully, except the finishing, obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> is built is building off their promise and performance. But just remember how to score goals in less than twenty five shots. Yeah, I mean that is that is it. That it's just rhythm. It's finding you know Jota's barely played any football in what three and a half months. Um, he won the one game against Fulham, and then this one. Um, Mane's been poor since October. So he needs needs to rediscover his form. Uh, Salah missed a couple of good chances, but obviously he's been playing well this season. Twenty five goals already this year. Uh, the midfield functioned really well. The only change I'd like to see is Naby in for Ginny Wijnaldum. I'd like to see mm, what a Thiago Fabinho Naby midfield looks like. Him against like Moutinho would be something as well. Yeah, it'd be fun to watch, and I I I don't see them as having you know an overpowering midfield that's going to overrun Liverpool. So. You know, I think it is the game to try that. Um, they don't really have a big threat up front, so I think it's a fine game to play uh, Quebec and Phillips again. Um, so I don't see any reason for Liverpool to change where Fabinho plays for this game. Wolves have a decent defensive record this season, but aren't particularly good defensively. Individually, they're all fairly poor. They work well as a collective because of how the style of play works, but they mean they've been awful going forward. 28 goals scored this season. Only Burnley, Newcastle, Brighton, Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield United have scored less, so the bottom six. Everyone else has scored more. When Crystal Palace have scored more goals than you, you know you're struggling. Um, Defensively, obviously, they've, they've done all right this year, but... You know, Liverpool have a better defensive record and Liverpool have been garbage defensively most of the year. So that is what it is. I think Liverpool win this game. Wolves are without Pedence, Marcal and Jimenez. Jimenez is the biggest blow of all. He's the only real goal scorer in the squad. Mm. Uh, Liverpool, obviously, no Van Dijk, no Gomez, no Matip. Kelleher still ruled out. Firmino potentially back. Uh, Henderson is out. I think... I think Liverpool win this game. I do. It's away from home. Their issues have been at home. They've won three of their last, sorry, four of, yeah, three of their last four away games. The only one they lost was Leicester, who they outplayed and threw the game away against. Um, Their away form is better than their home form, as things stand. Their home form has obviously been awful. They've lost six in a row. I think Liverpool win this game. I think they'll win it 3-1. I think Salah, Jota and Mane will have a field day against that back three. They'll dominate in midfield with Fabinho, Thiago and either Ginny or or Naby. And the only the, the risk here is obviously Neto and Adama. Robertson has dealt well with Adama before. Mm-hmm. So Trent just needs to deal with Neto. Or if they swap, then it, it's, you know... Trent needs to deal with with uh, Adama because I think Robbo will be fine against Neto. Do you think they could play? We've seen them play three five two in the past. Do you think that could be probably best for them because if you get Adama, I know he's not com- not the best, probably not even comfortable in central areas. But if you get him running out of Kabaka or Nat Phillips, it's better for them. It might be their best option. Mm. It really might be the best option. But then you probably have to leave Neto out, and he's probably the best player they have other than Ruben well, Neves. We've, we've seen him play a false nine. I mean. He could play as a wing back. 
if they wanted to be, you know, wanted to have still a bit of an attacking threat, they could try. I mean, they could go four four two. It won't work because Connor Cody will get Mort will get absolutely murdered yeah. playing centre back against Liverpool. Sure. But they could try four four two and try and bet in a little bit. They could maybe go four five one. I I think he'll I think he'll go three four three. I I just think Nuno's stubborn. I think he'll go three four three. I think he'll pay the price. I suppose you can just put him now or in a three four three if anything. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That's it. That's their. That's the games. That's the ten games tonight. Starting tonight, running all the way through till Monday, um, which is nice. There are a couple of games then the following weekend: Fulham, Leeds, Brighton, Newcastle, and uh, Villa against. Sorry, Villa, Tottenham, and West Ham, Arsenal. So one on the Friday, one on the Saturday, two on the Sunday. There's obviously FA Cup games on. And then there's a bunch of teams with an internet with the break before the internationals. The good news with this international break is that clubs are not required to, to just automatically send their players away if they don't want to. Uh, so that should be a help to certain clubs. But yeah, that's it. Thank you as always to Guy. Thank you to you for listening. Uh, take care of yourselves. Have a good weekend. And we'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.